Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Dr. Elizabeth Knight, nurse practitioner and integrative health coach who is also a runner herself. In this episode, we're talking about running for health, like running in the context of creating a healthier human, and then also exploring a bit about health versus performance. Is running to our absolute limit healthy? What does health actually mean in this context? Are there situations in which chasing performance might be damaging to our health? And how health and performance can coexist, and that's good news for all of us. Elizabeth, Dr. Knight, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have you. Thank you, Elizabeth with an S. (laughs) Elizabeth with an S and Elizabeth with a Z. (laughs) So the very first question I ask all of my guests is, how did you become a runner? Yeah, for me... I first took up running as an adult. I wasn't a runner in school. I didn't run track. I didn't run cross country. I actually took up running when I was in nursing school. So I'm a nurse practitioner um, as my profession. And when I was first getting into that, nursing school is hard. And I, I think people don't realize sort of what's involved in that, but it's a really science heavy education followed by really intense clinical experiences and often really long clinical days and learning this stuff that's both very intellectual, like you do biochemistry, just like you would for med school. And then you go spend time in the hospital with patients. And a lot of times the students are the ones who are really spending intensive time with people in the hospital. And as you're learning how to do that, it's a lot. And sort of getting used to being in that environment, I think, is um, something that takes emotional strength and resilience. And so that combination of just being on a lot and learning really new skills and new contexts um, took something um, from me that I wasn't really sure how to replace. And so when I took up running, it really gave me an opportunity, not just like for the physical exercise that you need to keep your body feeling good, but also just that mental space of how can I process all that's going on here? How, How can I assimilate information, but also become this more sort of emotionally whole and intelligent person that I need to be to meet the demands of this career that I'm going into. And then I stuck with it because it just felt so good. And, you know, I I worked years in night shift as an ICU nurse, and I needed that strength and resilience. And, you know, as I've gone through and I went through graduate school and I wound up getting my doctorate in nursing and all of that time, having something to do that both helped me feel good physically and gave me these sort of routines and then gave me space for my brain and my heart to sort of integrate all that was going on in my life. And I'm sure, you know, everybody who's a runner knows that, you know, there's just a truth to that. Um, And it really kind of saved me and carried me through that. And then, you know, in these past few years through being a healthcare provider during the pandemic, I would, I'm not sure I would have made it without running. (laughs) Yeah. And I think anybody who, like you said, as a runner can identify with that this kind of skill building aspect of being a runner and like life skill building in that it teaches you the life skills of resilience and perseverance, but also how to turn your brain off. Because if your brain is on all the time, it's not always beneficial. Um, and especially, yeah, I can't imagine, I know that all of my friends who are healthcare workers, the past few years have just been absolutely brutal. So nice to see you on the other side or mostly on the other side of things. Um, yes. Yeah. So we're today we're talking about running and health and running and health and performance and a couple different things that I was thinking about when we were talking, you know, when I was, when I was ruminating on this topic is that, you know, being in the space as a coach where, although my goal with my athletes is to make them holistic, healthy runners. We often are chasing performance goals. Where is the line between health and performance and like is chasing performance healthy? And if we don't genuinely care about performance, and I have a lot of runners who reached out and say, I don't race. I don't care. I run because I like to, and it's good for me for my health. You know, what are, what can we be sharing with them 
about the health benefits of running and yes, of course, why it's good for you. So let's just start at the very beginning and say, when we're running for health, kind of the minimum recommendation for exercise, if our goal is to just be healthy human beings, where does running fit into that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So we could start with the basics of what are the physical activity guidelines that are sort of recommended, um, in this case by the government, but you know, generally, and it, it's uh, there are some complications to it, but basically, the most simple answer to that is if you do about 30 minutes per day of what's called moderate intensity activity, so not you know hitting it hard, getting your heart rate through the roof, but also not just the most gentle stroll you could think of. So moderate intensity activity, about 30 minutes a day to make it simple, that is what's recommended. And we know that really most people, 80% of Americans don't get that. And that's a pretty low bar for, for physical activity. And uh, so, you know, that tells us something about the way that we live our lives and what we prioritize. But when we think about people who are runners, who are maybe more consider themselves athletes, we're getting that easily. You know, it's, it's not that we're, that we're trying to meet a minimum is that we're going way beyond that and saying, you know, is this going to make me faster? Am I going to PR? Am I going to get my marathon finished? And for most people, we're not there. We're at, are we getting 30 minutes of moving our bodies most days? And since we know most people aren't, you know, I think that's a really good place to start. And there's really solid evidence that it doesn't take even that much to get benefits. And from running specifically, there's a there's a great um, study, a big cohort study, and it's telling us that um, you can get the benefits on mortality, which is, you know, how, how long are you going to live? Are you going to die sooner than you mean to? And you can get benefits to that with running for less than an hour per week with running less than six miles per week, with running in as few as one or two sessions per week, and running like less than six miles per hour, so less than a 10 minute per mile. And that is a super, super manageable amount of activity for pretty much anybody. Um, and that we see benefits of, you know, three years longer in life expectancy, 45% lower risk of cardiovascular disease related death with just that level of activity. So when you say what's enough for running, that's enough if you're looking for a benefit to mortality. And I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. They would say like, oh, I can't fit it in. I can't run five days a week. I can't run for an hour at a time. So it's just not worth it. And my answer to that would be, it's worth it. <laughs> I often get a lot of questions about, more fewer recently, thank goodness, but about steps per day. And people are usually wondering about if I'm running, let's say I'm running 15 to 20 miles per week, do I still need to get my 10,000 steps per day on top of that? And we're going to talk a bit how, yes, too, there is such a thing as too much. But there is data that shows us that, and we talk about even not even just running, but walking that lower intensity but cardiovascular exercise is associated with better outcomes with all cause, cause mortality. But you don't even have to reach 10,000 steps together. You can get there with like the benefits are. 5,000 steps per day, 7,000 steps per day. And if you're a runner, you're probably having no trouble hitting those step goals just in your daily exercise routines. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, there's there's two things going on there. One is that we have a tendency to latch on to these targets and they get defined in a research study somewhere, which is that was the threshold that they used when they studied it. And so everybody kind of goes, okay, so that's the magic number. And sometimes there's truth to that, but oftentimes it's kind of arbitrary in a way and, and that there's not really a cutoff and that up to that point, every additional bit that you do is probably still good for you. Uh, and so not to get too obsessed with, you know, is this the right amount? Is this the right number? Have I hit that number and 9,000 isn't good, but 10,000 is good. And to sort of not get obsessed with that, I think is, is really important. Um, and then the other piece around, um, you know, is that enough is um, it might not just be the movement or the intensity of the movement, but also maybe avoiding just being totally sedentary. And so, you know, I think we see this in some people who they say, well, well, I ran my hour in the morning and then they don't move for the rest of the day. And we know that that being still, that being totally sedentary, 
sedentary is actually not great for your health. And so regardless of, you know, did you get all of those steps? And yeah, I easily took 10,000 steps on my morning run. But if I took them all in one hour and I took zero steps the rest of the day, that that's not great for health either. And when we talk about some of those benefits of activity and exercise, things around um, metabolic health, around fighting inflammation, we find that actually being totally still and sedentary counteracts some of that great benefit that we get from being super active. And so thinking about that piece as well as not just are we getting all of you know, our heart rate up? Are we getting our calories burned? But what are we doing to move our bodies in that gentle way throughout the day? And I think most of us are guilty of that because it's easy to, once you sit down to your work, if your, if your job or your day doesn't require you to continue to get up and move, all of a sudden you've been sitting still for six hours, you know, except for that bathroom break and we went to get lunch. And then you're right. It can feel like, oh, no, no, but I got my exercise in. I'm good. And yes, you're probably better off than somebody who doesn't exercise at all. But sitting for long periods of time, not great. Yeah, especially, you know, and, and I think both ways, both for your health, if you talk about things like, is it good for your blood pressure and your cholesterol numbers and those things we think about as health, but also for your health as a runner or your health as an athlete. And are you putting your joints in, you know, suboptimal positions and then sitting there for four hours at a time? That's not going to help your running either. So, you know, when we talk about, is this good for performance and, or is it good for health? I think those long stretches of sitting totally still is kind of no for either. <laughs> Yeah, we know that motion is the lotion, right? Motion movement is good. <laughs> um, talking about some of the, the benefits of health of of running from a health standpoint, a lot of runners, especially adult runners, start running or restart running after a break because they want to lose weight or use it as a weight management tool. And I will say, how how can I say this in a in a way that is more delicate? Um, there are benefits for some people to change their body compositions. However, cardiovascular exercise as a weight loss tool is may not be your healthiest option. Do you think I'm phrasing that correctly? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I do. And, and I think that you're right. People people say, oh, I want to lose weight. So running is probably a good way to do that. And it, and it might not even necessarily be that effective as a way to lose weight weight. And when I see people with that um, approach, my question is often, well, where does this drive for weight loss as the goal come from? And what are you hoping the outcome will be if you lose weight? And sometimes it's, you know, aesthetic, you know, I would like to look a different way. And, and that's okay. You know, that's a, a reasonable goal. But oftentimes it's, well, I think that it will make me healthier if I lose weight or something along those lines. And in those cases, I would steer people towards focusing on a different outcome. And you may lose weight, you know, as you get into a training program as you're more active and you might follow other things with that. You know, often as you start a running routine, you then find that you change your nutrition to go with it and you change other habits in your life to go with it. It's got this kind of anchoring effect of pulling positive change with it. And so, yeah, weight loss can happen, but it doesn't have to in order to reap the health benefits of running. You can get huge benefits in cardiovascular health and metabolic health without there being any change in your body weight. And so that's, you know, important to keep Keep in mind if you're running for health to say that you might not see that show up on the scale and that you know weight isn't really the metric of health that a lot of us have been sort of assuming that it was for a while. What are some of those health benefits metabolically, cardiovascularly that running can bring to us? Yeah. So I was, you know, I was mentioning earlier that we know that mortality goes down in runners. People who run and who run consistently are less likely to die and will die later than people who don't. And that's, you know, from big epidemiological studies. And so sort of that's like the bottom line, right, is that you will live longer and you will have less cardiovascular disease. But other things that we've seen from these types of epidemiological studies are that, um, 
being active exercise reduces incidence of things like cancer. There's solid evidence for eight different types of cancer that meeting those physical activity guidelines will reduce the risk. And that includes breast cancer. It includes colon cancer. It includes lung cancer. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think that cancer is, you know, just something that happens and that there's nothing you can do about it. But physical activity actually reduces those risks as well. It also reduces the risk of dementia, including Alzheimer's disease. Um, We talked already a little bit about heart disease and cardiovascular disease, but also stroke. It reduces the risk of diabetes. Um, It can fight high blood pressure. And then, you know, I've heard you talk with other experts around mental health as well, but there are huge benefits um, on exercise to mental health. And one of those that we have pretty good evidence about now is depression, including postpartum depression. And there's uh, a fair amount of interest now in looking at depression as a disease that has a component of inflammation to it, of neuroinflammation. And there's pretty good evidence now that um, physical activity exercise is a good fighter of chronic inflammation. And so any disease with an inflammatory component, so that's, you know, classical inflammatory things that we think of like rheumatoid arthritis or, or osteoporosis arthritis, but also um, things like depression that we now think have an inflammatory component and metabolic things like atherosclerosis or those clogged arteries that cause heart disease. Now we also understand that there's an inflammatory component to that. And so anything that reduces chronic inflammation, which exercise, including running, does well will reduce risk of anything in that category. So that's a huge category of stuff that we don't want to happen to us <laughs> that running helps. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And I think to draw back to your point is that, you know, early about the the kind of general guidelines for when these benefits start to show up, sometimes when an outsider is looking in or somebody new to the sport arrives in the community and it seems like everybody and their mother and is training for a marathon and you have a runner saying, I don't, what, is that what it takes to be a runner? I don't want to run 50 miles a week. That sounds absolutely impossible. Is that, that's not for me. And just running a couple miles, a couple times a week, going for a 30 minute run three times a week, there are your benefits. Now, of course you can do more, but if you're sitting here thinking, well, gee, I just really only care about running my 5Ks and I'm good. Do I need to do more than that for my health? Doesn't sound like it. No, you don't. And you know, I like to, to remind people running is really for everybody. You don't have to be, quote, athletic. You don't have to be thin. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be in shape. You don't even have to want to run a race, a 5K or a marathon. You don't have to want to run intervals. You don't have to care what a fart lick is. You know, you can run and get benefits from that without any of that. And really with very few exceptions, you know, people can run. Um, I would say there are a few cautions, like if you're on maybe medications that can cause dizziness, if you maybe have diabetes and you haven't figured out, you know, the ins and outs of managing your blood sugar while you're exercising, or you've had some issues with musculoskeletal things or cardiovascular um, disease, heart disease, You might want to see a doctor and kind of go through what your risks are. But, you know, I would say 90 times out of 100, you can still run and it's just figuring out how to get there from from where you are and that it doesn't have to be fast running, I think is the other thing. I think a lot of people think, oh, if I'm running, I got to go hard. I got to go fast. But it all counts. And if you take walk breaks, it still counts. And if you walk a minute, run a minute, it still counts. And I think especially people who are thinking about, oh, maybe I should be running for my health, but I could never run for an hour without stopping. It's like, well, you don't have to. (laughs) We are big proponents of easy effort running and run walk on this show and in my training philosophy. And also I will say for a lot of runners, depending on their athletic background and their just genetic makeup for a lot of people, moderate intensity exercise is 
any running for them. And we actually, I know that there are studies that have been done on depending on the kind of your, your aerobic efficiency and your aerobic capacity for many people walking is easy effort running intensity for a runner of a different, um, you know, of a different makeup. And so we, you know, for a lot of people, they think, but you know, running should be hard. I, but I should be running because that's where the benefits are for some people walking or significantly doing run walk will be those same benefits. Yes, that is a hundred percent true, especially for people who are new to exercising, new to moving their bodies. This idea that you have to be running for it to give you the benefits of moderate intensity is just not true. And and so thinking about yes, thinking about it as what's going to get you into that zone of your heart rate is elevated, you're using your muscles, you're feeling like you're working. It doesn't have to be you know, running in a running gait and running continuously to get that level of, of activity. Where does, I know that you work specifically, you know, with women in in cardiovascular health, um, cardiovascular health for women is something that I don't think we talk about enough. You know, women get heart disease quite frequently. Women can have heart attacks just the same as men, but our symptoms might be different. You know, what is your, what have you seen in the research and in your practice about the cardiovascular benefits for women specifically when it comes to running? Yeah. Oh, Elizabeth, you're singing the song of my people. This is what I did my dissertation about women's cardiac health and women's cardiac symptoms. And you're absolutely right. We don't talk about it enough. And I think we don't understand it enough. And when I say we, I mean both the medical community and the general public. And so what I think a lot of people don't know is that heart disease is the number one killer of women. You know, it's not breast cancer, it's it's heart disease. And we, I think, are getting better at understanding that, that, you know, heart disease isn't just this classic thing that happens to men in their 60s when it's like, oh, I have an elephant sitting on my chest, heart attack, boom. It's not like that. And for a lot of women, when they have symptoms that wind up being related to cardiovascular disease, we attribute them to other things. And we say like, oh, it's stress or even, you know, it's a it's a GI thing or, you know, my, my stomach feels kind of off. And really those things wind up being evidence down the road that there's something going on, you know, metabolically or, or with the cardiovascular system. And when women have acute episodes like a heart attack, oftentimes it's not so much of what we think of as this classic situation of like, oh my gosh, you know, 10 out of 10 chest pain, pressure, elephant sitting on my chest. And it can be much more subtle than that. It can be, oh, you know, something feels a little bit off. It can be this sort of fatigue and sweating and like maybe a little twinge and, you know, but you know, it'll go away. It'll be fine. Or it'll sort of start slowly and then escalate. And, you know, we could have a whole nother podcast about what symptoms women have around uh, heart disease. But, you know, I think what it comes down to is um, just understanding that, yes, that is a risk. And, yes, it is often different for women. And when women have symptoms of heart disease, they often need to advocate for themselves and say, like, no, I think something is really wrong. And it may take saying that a lot of times to a lot of people before they're really believed and taken seriously. But um, it's it's worth it. And I think that's starting to change. Um, and we are starting to have more research around that and more awareness. And so it's not as um, stark of a difference as it used to be. Uh, but um, to get back to your question about the benefits specifically for women, you know, I, I, I was speaking earlier about inflammation as being an underlying cause in lots of chronic disease and chronic inflammation being an issue. And we know that women are um, affected by inflammatory diseases uh, a lot, especially autoimmune diseases tend to be more common in women. And we know that exercise fights chronic inflammation really effectively. And so I would say, especially, you know, women who are dealing with those types of illnesses um, that have an inflammatory component to them, that exercise can be such a powerful medicine. And, And sometimes it's, you know, even just things like chronic pain that we don't have a solid understanding of the mechanism, but um, for exercise to impact those things is especially powerful for women. Um, and, you know, women in the healthcare system in general, I think often get sort of, um, 
told that their symptoms aren't that important or that they're not real or that they couldn't possibly be caused by something, you know, physical or mechanical in the body, that it's much more likely to be sort of written off in, in certain ways. And um, oftentimes that means that the medical community just doesn't have a solid understanding of what's going on. And we are not very good at saying that. We're not good at saying, I don't know. We're not good at saying, we don't have an explanation for this. Um, and so that's really not fair to the people who are experiencing those symptoms who, who are often women. Uh, but what we do know is, is ways to make those people feel better. Uh, and oftentimes exercise is one of them. And so I think that, you know, sort of acknowledging where we're at with that and saying sometimes we don't have the answer, right? We don't have the exact understanding. We've, we've not put in the research for this. We haven't, you know, put in all of the work that we need to understand it. That's not good. But what we do know is this can help you. Um, and so I think for, for women to hear that is really important. Yeah, to be told you're not making this up. It's not just in your head. And I also feel like, you know, there are so many things that women go through where we're kind of told it's where it's supposed to suck and it's supposed to be painful. Like, oh no, you're supposed to get period cramps or yes, of course, childbirth is supposed to be painful. You know, so we've been conditioned to think that our experiences are supposed to be terrible, but obviously when we're dealing with our health and our wellness, you know, we shouldn't settle for, oh, but I just, I guess this is just how it is. Like, I guess, you know, this is just, I'm supposed to always be uncomfortable or in pain, or I guess this symptom. And I see this a lot with my female athletes too, and I'm not a medical professional, but you know, I do like them to communicate with me about how they're feeling in general. And I'll have some of my athletes bring up things as almost like a throwaway. That is like a, like a, I'm sorry, you're feeling what? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's no big deal. And I'm thinking, no, you need to call your doctor. You know, that's, that's so common and it's so not okay. Yeah, I think that's so important um, to, to hear that uh, everybody does this, but I think you're right and that maybe women do this more, which is we tend to sort of minimize something that's going on because we've been trained to do that in a lot of ways. And, you know, we see this in, in medical visits, we'll say almost, we'll call that a doorknob question. It's like, oh, by the way, as you're sort of done with everything else, by the way, I've been having this chest pain for the past six months. So that, that's not a big deal, is it? And it's like, whoa, hold on, back up. Let's talk about that. Um, maybe it is. And Again, I think some of that just comes from being conditioned or being sort of taught that, yeah, you're just going to have some level of discomfort or pain, or I don't want to bother anybody, or this isn't really important. I've got other stuff that I want to focus on and to say, let's pay attention. Let's learn to pay attention to those signals that are coming from the body and to, to not write them off. And, you know, it's really too bad when, when we, the medical community sort of participates in the writing off of said symptoms um, because it's sort of counter to what we really, really need to do, which is to learn to listen to our bodies. So what I want to ask about is you've mentioned chronic inflammation. And as an athlete, I think we're all, we have a basic understanding of inflammation as in swelling, or maybe you've heard about muscle soreness has a component where there's inflammation in your muscle due to damage. But there are many different kinds. Well, inflammation is what it is, but in the body, whether the inflammation is acute or chronic serves a different purpose and tells a different story. What is chronic inflammation that you're speaking about? And why is that different from something like when I overwork my bicep and my muscle gets sore because of a little bit of inflammation? Yeah, that's such a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. So inflammation isn't a bad thing, right? Inflammation is a response of the body to some type of insult or injury. And it's a good thing when, say, you overwork a muscle and you get inflammation, which is basically the marshalling of your body's repairing resources to that area to bring blood flow, to bring the things that will heal that damaged tissue. And so that's good when something happens and your body responds to it. And when it becomes a problem is when that mechanism kind of goes haywire and your body is responding to things that aren't there anymore or things that are there all the time and never go away that your body is perceiving as this acute um, 
event and trying to respond to with this mechanism of inflammation, which is let's bring all the stuff that, that we need to, to fix this. And that works again, if you sprain your ankle, right? It works if you have a really hard workout and you damage some tissue and your body wants to, it works if you have the flu, right? And your body says, oh, we got to get our immune system revved up. Let's go, let's fight. Let's get this virus out of there. And when it stops working is when your body is responding to, you know, oh my gosh, there's this stuff that's, that you keep eating that I don't like, that's, you know, an artificial chemical that has a particular reaction to the immune, you know, the immune system is reacting to it and saying like, hey, there's a fire in here, let's fight this fire. And if you don't take those things away, your body kind of goes into overdrive. And then you get into these sort of cycles where it, it kicks up the stress response, which then kicks in the inflammatory response. And you wind up with this sort of chemical cascade that's telling your body that something's wrong all the time. And it's it's really tricky. And there's lots of, you know, it, this is sort of a complex topic to, to get into the, to the nitty gritty, but um, there's a problem when it stops being a response to a specific thing and it starts being an ongoing pattern, basically. And the ongoing pattern is is chronic inflammation. And that's what can lead to disease through all kinds of different mechanisms, um, many of, of which we still don't have a, a really solid understanding of in the medical community. Um, but yes, chronic inflammation is the, the disease maker, not acute inflammation, which is what we might be familiar with that, you know, it's red, it's warm, it hurts. <laughs> There are some other things I've had. I've had other guests on the show. We talk about chronic inflammation from a, a, a standpoint of when you are chronically overstressing or under recovering your body intentionally. And for a lot of people, this is fasted running, especially for women oh, yeah. or poor stress management. So super high cortisol all the time. And all these things can, it doesn't have to be like an underlying, like there are many different causes, obviously, but we talk about the context of okay, let's say we are chasing performance goals, our running is important to us, we're putting a lot of exercise stress on our body, we need enough recovery to support that. And if we're not recovering enough, that chronic under recovery can actually cause like an, a chronic inflammation response as your body is like freaking out all the time trying to deal with what it perceives as the house being on fire. Yeah, right. So when we talk about the stress response, we're thinking about the sympathetic nervous system or, or the fight or flight system. And that includes, as you were mentioning, the release of cortisol, which is involved in this stress response. And then you get, you know, into this cycle. And that um, stress response is related to, to inflammation. And your body responds to stress sometimes by you know, igniting that inflammatory response. And then sometimes it responds to that inflammatory response by igniting the stress response. So when I say you get into this cycle, that's what I'm talking about. And you're right that overtraining or under recovering can also get you stuck in that cycle just the way that it can to be, you know, exposed to something that your body is trying to fight. And your body doesn't necessarily understand the difference between say training stress of, oh, I'm doing this on purpose, trying to elicit a response and stress that's going on in your life or stress that's going on because you're truly in danger. Your body doesn't respond to those things differently. Your body doesn't know. Your body just says stress and responds with its with its stress hormones and this cascade that's meant to be protective. And it is protective when that stress is short term. But when that stress is all the time and you never have a break from it, whether that's because you live a stressful life or because you're training continuously and you never take a rest day or a down week, you will get stuck in that cycle. And then you can have this issue with chronic inflammation, which as we talked about, can be a culprit in things like autoimmune disease, in things like cardiovascular disease, in things like depression. So we might think that inflammation is this, you know, oh, it's not really a big deal. It'll get better in a couple of days. But when we're not giving it space to get better, we get stuck in that chronic picture. And those consequences that I was just talking about, those are big deals. This is a good pivot into kind of the other half of our conversation about the performance side and balancing health and performance and asking the honest question of, is sometimes chasing performance healthy for us? Um, by the time people reach out to me for coaching or are really getting invested in the sport and chasing their own goals, I don't typically don't have to convince them to run at least three times a week for 30 minutes at a time, right? We're typically past that point, right? We're, we're on to, you know, running multiple days per week for a lot of people who I see the profile of, I would actually 
call them chronic over exercisers in that when they come to me, I take a look at the training load that they have through the week, including the running, the cross training, the fitness classes, the strength training, all the things that they do in their life. And many times I will look at a new athlete and say, you're doing too much because there is such a thing as too much. Yeah, there is. And I think the other side of doing too much is not doing enough of other stuff. And that other stuff is often sleep. (laughs) It's often other ways to manage stress. It's often nutrition. It's often things that are fun for you outside of exercise. And, you know, when we talk about are we chasing performance at the expense of health, sometimes that's what it is, right? It's that you're thinking about performance as running more, training more, doing more, and you're not thinking about the whole picture of what leads to good performance. And I think with a lot of athletes, that's that's what goes on. They think that, that the thing that will make them perform the best is to run more. And that's not always the case. And so, you know, when you ask that question, is chasing performance a trade-off with health? I would say for most people, it actually isn't. But what constitutes chasing performance um, maybe takes some reimagining for, for a lot of people. Um, and if you look at, say, you know, what pro runners are doing, they're taking naps, they're eating snacks, you know, they're, they're not just running, running lots and doing nothing but running. Um, and some people will call that peripherals, you know, oh, you're sleep and you're stressed. And I, I would never say that. I would say you've got to have your running here and you've got to have the other things in your life that are supporting your running up there with it. And that's, you know, all of that health promoting. And so it's not necessarily even that you're that you need to run less, but that you need to make sure that everything that you're doing outside of running is supporting health. Um, and so, yes, there are people at the very pointy end, right, who will be giving up health for performance. They're they're going for a particular race and they are going to win that race. And in order to do that, they're, you know, gonna sacrifice some health things. You know, we've seen people do, you know, ultra marathons and come out with rhabdo. And, you know, that's obviously not healthy, right? And that's a performance thing. But but that's not what most people are talking about. Most people are talking about the person who you mentioned, you know, a minute ago here. They're they're going to their long runs and then they're going to CrossFit and then they're doing their fitness class and then they're running more and they're saying, this is what I need to do for performance. And so, yeah, it's saying what else, not just the exercise is going to go into making that performance better. And I would argue that you actually can't reach your performance peak if you're not healthy. Right. And I think that, like you said, a lot of people assume that performance peaks are built simply on doing as much exercise as you can possibly cram into your day. And that's where we get to people who are reaching out to coaches and saying, I'm running seven days a week and I'm not getting better, right? I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm running, I'm, I'm lifting, I I get my cross training and I get my steps in. And again, that's the, yeah, but you're doing too much. Or like you said, that flip side is that you're not recovering enough to support the training that you're doing. And for a lot of people, that's because they're not eating enough. They're not sleeping enough. They have really stressful lives, usually a combination of all three and cramming exercise, you know, loads and loads and loads of miles on top of that. You're, that's the magic to getting faster is not just running more. It's finding the balance so you can appropriately stress and recover. And that's like a mind blowing thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's like a yeah. really hard mindset shift for a lot of people. Yeah. I think that's a hundred percent it is that people, they have to really undergo this mindset shift to get from the way to get faster is to run more to sometimes the way to get faster is to run less and do more other stuff. And I think it takes a real leap of faith for a lot of people to to believe that. And, you know, I think some of that is just because of what we see if we're looking at, you know, other people's Strava files. It's like, well, that person runs this much and they're fast. So that must be what I have to do. But you don't see on Strava, you know, that that person took a nap. <laughs> Maybe we need to add that on Strava, right, <laughs> as an activity. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Nap or rest day. You know, I took my rest day. And for people who are 
super high volume athletes, one, they're probably genetically predisposed to be able to handle a higher level of volume just out the gate, but they've probably worked up to that over the course of years, if not decades. And you can't sustain that unless you have the recovery tools in place. And like you said, you know, with elite athletes too, we don't see the stuff that they, you know, they're napping, they're eating, they're under the care of, you know, dietitian. Um, they're doing all the things that us people with regular jobs don't have time to do because that's their job. Their job is to eat and sleep along with run and lift. And it takes, your body needs more recovery than you think that it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think we often think that we're doing a better job of that than we are. And, uh, you know, I, this is true with people who I work with. And, you know, I've caught myself doing this, too. It's like, you know, you're supposed to eat, you know, you're supposed to sleep, you know, you're supposed to do your physical therapy exercises. And, and I say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing all that. And then I slow down and I was like, oh, wait. I should be eating before I go out for a long run. And you know what? I skipped it. And it's not that I don't know that. And I, sometimes I just think I just think I'm doing it. And then I stop and I say, if I actually slow down and ask myself to be very honest with how I am doing and am I doing the things that I believe I should be doing and that I honestly think I'm doing a good job of. And then I stop and I sort of audit that and say, how many times out of the last 10 runs I went on did I actually fuel properly? And the answer isn't 10. I'm like, oh, shoot, I thought I was doing that, <laughs> you know? And I think that's I, uh, just a hard thing for a lot of people is you have to get honest with yourself. And if we're racing through life, which, you know, a lot of us, we are, we're busy and we say like, okay, I got that. I don't have to think about it anymore, but you do still have to think about it. Sorry. <laughs> There have been times, you know, when I've said this and as a marathoner, you know, um, you know, I will freely admit this, that I think for a lot of people, marathon training, well, I, I, as a coach, you need to take a break from marathon training between doing back to back to back to back to back marathons, right? Um, high volume running, whatever high volume means for you as an individual athlete, and everybody's high volume is different, but specifically when we talk about marathons and ultras, those are really challenging events to train for properly. And we want to stay as healthy as possible through them. But part of the point of training for these types of long distance events to our peak performance does require a significant level of fatigue and like intentional fatigue, you are trying to stress your body as much as you safely can over the course of the months of your training. And it requires things like more sleep and way more carbs than you might eat in your non-training life. Um, and that's okay. That's okay to do, but we have to then recover from the training cycle, right? We can't, again, talking about peak performance. And I talked about this recently, a peak implies that on the yeah. other side is it is a not a valley, but it's right. You have to go downhill. Um, yes. A lot of people try to stay in peak performance all the time, and that's not physically possible, nor is it healthy to try. Yeah, that's such a good point that you, you that's that's what a peak means, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, when, when you talk about the, the back to back to back marathon training, I think that's another thing that people get stuck on. And some of this is like watching what other people are doing and thinking, oh my gosh, everybody's doing marathons. I have to do marathons or like ultras are the new marathons now. Right. And it's like, oh my gosh, well, I've never run 50 miles. So I'm like, I don't count or I'm not doing enough or it's not really that much. And this is so I think damaging for a lot of people to, because it, there's no reason that you have to be running you know, one marathon, let alone, you know, four in a year. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in that sort of cycle of like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? I did this. Everybody's doing this. I've got to keep up. That's my next step. And oftentimes, you know, when I work with people, I say, well, why are you running? <laughs> you know, what is it that you're hoping to get from this experience? And people will tell me, oh, you know, it's a sense of accomplishment or it makes them feel good or they want to stay healthy. And we're saying like, okay, so you get a sense of accomplishment for, for finishing a race, you know, that's, that's good. You, you want to be healthy. So let's make sure that what you're doing in your training here is health promoting and not draining you of health. Right. And to say, is this actually aligned with what you're telling me, you know, are your goals. And sometimes you just get this drift away from that. And 
it's, you know, I think it's worth revisiting for, for athletes to say, you know, are you doing the type of running, the type of training that's getting you what you're looking for and not, you know, what you think you're supposed to be doing or what the other people in your run club are doing or, you know, what you're seeing on online. And, and that's just, I think it's a shift for a lot of people. And it takes this internal honesty, which is, I think, hard to do. It takes this moment of like being curious with yourself of what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? You know, am I actually living in a way that's aligned with my values and my goals? And that's a challenge. It can be hard because sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> and it, that's a hard thing to hear. Um, so, you know, what I tell people is, be curious about yourself and be kind to yourself and, you know, ask those questions and then see what the answers are and, and don't rush into saying like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this is what I want. This is what I want to do and say, what do I really want from this? Re-exploring your bigger why every so often is really important because it might change and it, it, was, it will likely change over the hopefully years and the rest of your life that you spend running, you know, why did you start running? Why did you, then what kept you going? Then what, why do you do it now? And I know that my why has changed a lot since I started running and it's totally different now. Cause there was a time where my why was to check the boxes. Well, why are you doing this? Oh, because I'm supposed to, cause everybody else is doing this thing. Everybody else is trying to run a BQ. That's why I'm trying to run a BQ. Right. And it's not a very, um, doesn't feel, how to say this, it's really hard to chase big goals healthily and safely and happy when they're not really things that you care about. Yeah. Whose goals are those? <laughs> Where did they come from? And, and are they aligned with what you as, you know, as a human being are, are about and, that doesn't mean that there are good goals or bad goals, you know, that there are people for whom chasing that BQ is absolutely the perfect goal right now. And there are people for whom it's not. And, you know, the only person who can know that is, is, is you. And I think that a lot of, a lot of times we've just sort of become conditioned to looking for answers or what am I supposed to do next? And sometimes the answer, you know, isn't out there and you can't read it somewhere else and a coach can't tell it to you and you know another another person doesn't have that answer and that's hard for people i think a lot of times especially people who are very driven and who really want to achieve you know we're so used to saying like what's the next thing i'm, I'm supposed to do to get there and if the answer is you know slow down back off and and think about it for a while we're uncomfortable <laughs> I want to go back to talking about elite athlete performance for a little bit because um, let's, like you said, let's be completely honest. There are situations that some athletes find themselves in where they're chasing a performance goal and it's genuinely not good for their health, right? They're, but for a variety of reasons, they're going to go after it. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, reading memoirs from other, you know, elite, not other, from elite runners. Um, from reading about memoirs that I've read of elite cyclists, former pro cyclists, and kind of what they go through and being on grand tours and multi, you know, multiple straight days of multi, you know, hundreds of kilometers at a time. I don't think nobody is going to argue that that is the healthiest thing for one to do, especially when there's a lot of weird stuff going on about weight and how much, you mm -hmm. know, somebody should weigh in that kind of sport. But that's also not to say that you're not allowed to do things that might be slightly risky to your health if they delight you in other ways. And I'm thinking about people who engage in these endurance events where, yes, at the end of it, are you the picture of health? If they took your blood work, would it be perfect? No, but that is a, a, a small point in time that you are engaging activity that you are doing as safely as possible, that you are pushing yourself to the absolute limit of your ability but that's not where you're existing from day to day. Yeah, you know, I I think one way to think about that is is to zoom out on what health is basically. To say, you know, health doesn't necessarily mean your biomarkers or the function of your muscles on that particular day or what is your cholesterol or what is your blood pressure. You know, those are those are things that we can use in some contexts to monitor health, some aspects of health. But health also includes, you know, your social connection with other people. It includes, you know, 
how you feel having goals and purpose. It includes the way that you interact with your environment. It includes, you know, are you spending time in nature and that's therapeutic for you? It includes all of these other things that are in the context of your life and the ways that those things interact, you know, with you as a human are really part of health. And sometimes it's okay to say, well, yeah, I might be doing something that's, that's damaging a part of my body a little bit in the short term. But if you look at over the course of my life and the entire sort of um, picture of, of who I am as a person, this is in fact healthy in a way that is meaningful. And, you know, you also have to say like, well, you know, are we going to quibble about, is this elite athlete, you know, making um, compromises on their health versus somebody who is is you know not interested in, in being active at all and you know putting themselves at, at risk in totally different ways and, and then we're, we're not saying like well this person is either gonna you know win the race or they could back off a little bit and be healthier and and that's that's not really necessarily the relevant question i think a lot of the time because that's that's not what we're comparing to and we're saying yeah this person gets to make that choice for themselves um, you know, I think we see this conversation ar- around things like weight too, which is like who gets to decide, you know, what value you place on health or certain aspects of your health, and you know, you do <laughs> as as the, as the individual. And for us to say like, well, this isn't a good thing to do because it's not healthy, and it's like, well, says who? Um, that's not really your um, judgment to make. And and so, you know, with, with elite athletes. You know, you're right. There are times when they will be making trade-offs that we might view as not healthy, and there are situations that are probably genuinely not healthy. And you know, we see this. You know, you talked about weight and the way that some say um, teams can maybe have have pressure around body weight and in ways that maybe isn't going to be serving those people either psychologically or physically, and it may you know impact their performance positively in this week, but over the year or the next year or the next year, not so much. And, and so, you know, yeah, there are situations that are probably genuinely detrimental to health within the context of elite sport, but not necessarily. Yeah. We can't wrap ourselves in bubble wrap. Like we have to experience life, (laughs) right? We have to, I think we should push ourselves to our limits, right? As long as we're not like, you know, causing lasting harm. And, you know, I would even, I'm sure that there are some people who engaged in something that pushed them to their limit. They've never felt more alive. Did it cause them lasting harm? Yes. Would they do it again? Yes. Right. That's not for me to decide. That is for them to figure out if that was something that was, that was part of their life. Obviously, like I said, as safely as we possibly can on this stuff. Um, But I've even, you know, I did a post last year about what running a marathon does to your body and the point, the the reason I made this post was I wanted to explain to people why it was so important that you take your post-marathon recovery period seriously. Like, I want to convince you that, yes, you should be really dedicated in your post-marathon recovery. Take several weeks minimum of a recovery period, reverse taper back in, like, all this kind of stuff that I was talking about. This is what running a marathon does to your body. We know that it causes muscle damage. We know that it can cause minor kidney damage. We know that it can impact your immune system in the short term. And kind of all these like things as I was like, yeah, you know, does this, does that, does this, does that. And a lot of people respond and say, wow, like I can't believe that you're telling people to go run marathons when it's so bad for you or it's so dangerous for you. And the point wasn't that running a marathon, as long as you're prepared, right, prepare for your marathon, train for your marathon. The point wasn't that running a marathon is dangerous or bad for your health. The point is that like all intense endeavors, there is a trade-off. You do something hard, you need to recover properly. And you just happen to need more recovery after a marathon than you do after a 5k. Yeah. And you know, bodies are resilient and things, when you, whenever you look at some health consequence like that, you have to look at it in context. And so, you know, um, they did a a study or they they do this um, at the Western States Endurance Run where they've had this ongoing study. They they do blood work on the athletes at the end and they're they're doing study. And they will find people have levels of uh, creatine kinase in their blood that if they showed up at the emergency room with that, they would be admitted and not be allowed to leave. And these people are okay. 
You know, they just ran 100 miles on a hot day and they need to rehydrate and eat a lot of pizza and sit down for a while. And if we remember, you know, that it is okay to have those consequences of intense physical effort in your body and it's not necessarily a marker of disease, right? And if we sort of think about that in the context of in the hospital, this would be disease because it would be something else, right? It wouldn't be the consequence of this hard physical effort. And of course, there are limits to that, right? You can push your body to an effort where you can't recover from it or you won't. But most of the time when we think about those things or you think about the consequences of your marathon and what you need to do to recover, that's okay. It's not saying that there's something wrong. It's saying your body's got some cleanup to do. And, uh, you know, I think to consider that as unhealthy is, is not really correct. <laughs> um, and it's sort of through this lens, this disease focused lens, instead of through this lens of, well, bodies are healthy, resilient organisms that can, that can respond to that. And this is what it's supposed to be doing. That's right. <laughs> Let it happen. Our bodies are truly unbelievable. It's just the complexity of what we are is truly mind-blowing. I mean, the more that I learn about physiology and every time you think you, you know, especially doing research into sports science and trying to explain like, well, why does this happen? Why does that happen? And we're like, nobody really knows at the end of the day on Mm -hmm. some of this stuff, despite our best attempts at the research. And the more you dig down, they're like, we think it's this signaling protein in this. And I'm like, just that is the fact that like I said, we're so complicated and so, like you said, resilient and adaptive and that we can take a human being like me who couldn't run a mile, who is now a multi-time marathon Boston qualifier, like in the span of a couple years, that's crazy. Like who, what else is like that, that we know of? I know. It's uh, to me it's amazing that bodies work as well as they do. And we tend to fixate when these little things go wrong and say like, "Oh my gosh, this isn't fair. Why me?" And you say, "But look at the incredible complexity of what your body is accomplishing, you know, day in, day out. It's amazing. Give that body some credit. Give your body some, a little bit more credit than I think that a lot of us do, definitely. And be a bit kinder to our body <laughs> sometimes. Yes. Like speak yes. to it more, speak to it more kindly sometimes. Yeah, I think that's a huge theme, you know, in people who I work with, you know, I, I said a little bit ago that, you know, when you're thinking about your goals, you need to approach yourself with curiosity and kindness. And this is true about our bodies too. Like, oh, what's, you know, something feels off there. What's going on? Like, let me give you some support with that and stop saying like, gosh, darn it. Stop me. Stop being that way. And instead say, oh, what are you telling me? <laughs> yeah. Learn to le- learning to listen to your body, like be like you said, be curious. Um, what are some, just kind of in thinking about ways if somebody is wondering, am I, what I'm doing, is this healthy? And obviously context matters in like all of this, everything. Welcome to the podcast. The show title should be, it depends. Um, but, (laughs) but you know, if somebody is, you know, has been listening to this and kind of wondering, you know, maybe it is time that I have an honest conversation or a good long think about this. What are some ways to, maybe evaluate whether what we're doing is healthy or healthy for us in this period of time versus when it might be time to, you know, maybe shift a little bit. Yeah. So one thing that I always recommend for athletes or, or people who are active is if they keep a log of their training and their activity that you don't just write down, okay, ran six miles today at, you know, at a seven minute pace, but you look at much more broadly what's going on in your life. So does your training log have a column in it for how much energy did you have when you went out the door today? And how much did you sleep last night? And how many servings of vegetables did you eat today? And if you can look at that as in a broader sense and look at the trends on that level and say, you know, how are all of these things working together? And I think a really important one is, and how did I feel and how much energy did I have? And if you can include that in your training log, however you like to log it, you know, I have a form that I use that people can access on my website if they want to, but it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You can do this in a notebook, you can do this in a Word document, and then you can see and if you look at that document, if you look at your your log and you say, well, my energy for the past month has been four out of 10 every day. And you said, well, then maybe something I'm doing isn't working for me. And if you say, I feel 10 out of 10 awesome every day, then you're probably doing good. And, you know, again, that requires some honesty 
and a little bit of reflection. Um, and I think that if you're willing to do that, that you can sort of tap into your own body's, you know, awareness and wisdom and say, is this working for me or not? And you don't have to rely necessarily on a fancy measure. Like, you know, some people like to use their gadgets, their gizmos say, well, you know, what was my heart rate variability this morning? Am I doing okay? You can do that. Absolutely. Those can be useful tools, but I think just going on, how am I feeling day to day is a really, really powerful one that we overlook and we tend to get sort of uh, hung up on the fancy stuff. And if you can say, am I doing the stuff day to day that helps me? You know, am I getting the sleep? Am I eating nutritious food? And how do I feel? And that would be a great place to start for most people. We love to overcomplicate things. And I think we can start with that. I think we also love to, like you said, runners are driven. I don't know a runner who wouldn't describe themselves as at least a little bit type A. Um, whether or not that's true and whatever that actually means, we tend to think that as long as we just kind of knuckle down and bust through, it'll it'll be fine. Like, oh yeah, my energy wasn't great today, but um, you know, maybe, you know, blah, 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 that's because of this. And instead of instead of, like you said, being curious and identifying the root cause of Am I going through a really stressful period of time at work? You know, my kids starting school and the routine is disrupted again. Like acknowledging the holistic context that your life is occurring in is really important because like you don't exist in a vacuum. Your training doesn't exist in a vacuum. Whether or like, whether or not you like to admit it or acknowledge it, it's true. Your entire environment influences you to some degree. And you might not think it's a big deal that school is starting now and your entire routine is upended because, you know, it's went middle school to high school and everything's starting earlier now, whatever the thing is, or whatever, whatever your current disruption is, that's actually a really big deal to your body. And it's okay to go through periods where you are adjusting or readjusting when things get hard. It, it's not supposed to be easy all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have a hard time seeing those connections or we, we would say like, well, I don't know. It just, this happened out of the blue. You know, I, I got this little niggle out of the blue. I don't know where it came from. Now I'm injured. And then if you say, well, what changed in the past couple of months? And it turns out, you know, you, like you said, school, school started and I got a new assignment at work and I was traveling. And then you say, oh, okay, maybe it wasn't out of the blue. And so, you know, when I talk about using that tool of a training log in the day to day, hopefully a tool like that helps you say, oh, hey, look, my, my, you know, the way I'm feeling has actually been kind of trending down for a week. So maybe I should change something before I get to, you know, a month later and I'm saying out of the blue, I'm, I'm injured now. Yeah. Almost nothing happens out of the blue unless you trip and fall. <laughs> yeah. Like you can trace it back to, you know, oh, I guess, you know, when I moved, we yeah. did it this way and all of a sudden my runs or, you know, when blah, blah, blah happened. And sometimes you have to look back quite a bit further than you might think. Because in our yes. bodies, you know, a lot of this stuff we talk about, the cumulative effect of your training, the chronic effect of a lot of these things is that they take so long to build up and build up and manifest into the thing. Like you don't get atherosclerosis overnight, right? Is a process of where the disease progresses. You don't go from like clear arteries to clogged arteries in a single day. Everything in our body takes time to happen, good and bad, right? So if we can trace back um, a while and start making the connections, like drawing that weird, you know, put the string on the wall, like you're doing conspiracy mm-hmm. theory thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it. It is. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, it takes like some cataclysmic events to start saying like, oh, you know, you're right. I wasn't feeling great for this long time or I made this change or I haven't been prioritizing this or whatever it is. But my my hope is that that more of us can learn to start paying attention to that internal sense of how am I feeling and whether, you know, some of that's going to be you know, almost like a, a mind thing. And some of it's going to be a body thing and some of it's going to be in, in between, but that if we can start paying attention to that more regularly, and that's why, you know, a log is a good tool for that because it helps us sort of, it gives us something to do, right? A, a moment to say, oh, I didn't write in my log today. Let me stop and check in that. Hopefully we can start to see those things that, that would be, um, those sort of inflection points before they wind up with this big event that, that takes us out. <laughs> 
And I always encourage my athletes, you know, I, you know, I encourage them to make notes about their training. If not for me, for themselves, if we do need to go back and look for patterns, we have the data available to us. And I was talking to one of my uh, marathon groups recently about, you know, our revisionist memory sometimes. Yeah. So important to take contemporaneous notes of whatever the thing is, like make your note on the day, you know, after you finish a race or a workout or whatever it is, like write down your thoughts in the moment, because if you wait, when you reflect on it later, you're actually reflecting on a memory. And then you keep reflecting on a memory and your brain is basically playing telephone. So every single time that you remember, there's this theory of memory that you're not actually remembering the original event. You're remembering the last time you remembered it. Mm-hmm. And so over time, you know, that's how eyewitness accounts get so weird and garbled. That's how over time you can say, oh, I remember it this way. But then you go back and read your diary and think, oh, oh my God, I'd completely forgotten that this is how I actually felt, or this is what actually happened. And memory is so tricky sometimes. So um, write it down in the moment. <laughs> Yeah, right. And that's data. And, you know, I'm a scientist. That's how I like to operate. And you don't just sort of go on, oh, yeah, you know, I I kind of feel like this might be what what was the the thing that led to this. And it's you go back and you actually look, you know, what did I say? What did I write down? What was I doing? And if you don't capture that, you don't have the data. And so you're just left kind of being like, I don't know, I can't fix this. Um, But if you are willing to invest a little bit of sort of time and attention on an ongoing basis, then you give yourself the tool that you need to fix it. And I absolutely a training log. And I love that you have something like that to offer. So tell, tell us how we can find, follow you. Tell us where we can download this training log template. I'm going to go download it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, work, I have a, a company called flower power health and I do holistic health coaching for runners there. And, um, that's, you know, what I do for, for love. I'm also a nurse practitioner, but for, for my, um, my, um, training business. That's what I do. And my company flower power health, you can find me, um, online, my Instagram at flowerpower.health or my website flowerpower.health slash runners would be the place to go to find the training log and all the other tools. Um, and I love talking to runners. I love talking to people, um, who want to get healthy and use exercise. You know, one of the things that I always say is we can work on staying healthy so that we can run and running so that we can stay healthy and they should be working together. And that's what we do at Flower Power Health. Um, So yeah, come find me there, um, download the training log and see if it works for you. I love that. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us and sharing your expertise. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. It's been a great pleasure. It's always fun to get to talk to other runners and other people who really are interested in sort of unpacking the science and the the details beneath the surface. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. 